Hi everyone, how are you going? Good. Good? How are we going? I'll try that again. <laughs> All right, terrific. Just wanted to get those vibes going because we're uh, launching off this Sidewalks uh, Festival. It's really terrific to be here with you and uh, welcome to this first event. Um, just by way of introduction, my name is Chris Lynn and I'm really, uh, it's a pleasure to be hosting uh, this event and to get the chance to launch our Sidewalks Festival today. Um, just a little bit about myself, I uh, work at the University of Western Australia. Um, I'm an educator, I teach learning skills to the university students. Um, but I'm also, outside of work, I'm quite fortunate to be asked every now and then to host events like these for the Centre for Stories. Um, and to contribute to the sort of thriving, um, buzzing, supportive uh, literary ecology that we have in our city that is Perth. So it's a real pleasure to be here today. Um, I was especially pleased to be asked to chair today's conversation, uh, Third Culture Kids, because partly in addition to my background in academia and in education, um, I also come from an immig immigrant background. So the types of topics that we'll be talking about today regarding uh, mixed identities, um, uh, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought there, regarding mixed identities, uh, diaspora, and this idea of third culture are topics that are quite, uh, resonate with me very deeply. So it's, as I mentioned, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here today. And it's a conversation I'm really looking forward to sharing with our panelists here this morning, uh, to whom I'll introduce you very shortly. And of course, after the year that we've had, this year like no other, what a lovely opportunity it is to be in a venue like this, to be sharing conversation, um, to be talking about stories, and to celebrate the thriving writing and storytelling culture that we have in Perth. Um, Sidewalks is a terrific annual um, literary festival that we have here, and it's organised, um, as most of you will know, through the Centre for Stories, um, which showcases new creative voices in Perth, um, and where we also get to enjoy, as you will during the day, some of the eclectic spaces that we have throughout Perth as well. So on this note, again, I welcome you very warmly to our Sidewalks uh, event. Sit back, enjoy, and um, hope you enjoy this conversation. As we begin our program, and uh, on behalf of everyone here, if I may, uh, I'd like to acknowledge that we are situated on Wajak Noongar Buja. And while we are currently located in the CBD, in this bustling laneway, surrounded by the urban throng of crowds, uh, cafes, and cars, although not so much here, I acknowledge that this place, where we're not too far from the waters of the, uh, the Durbal Yerrigan, once carved out by the sinuous movements of the Dreaming Wargle, this place where we're privileged to share this conversation will always belong to, to the traditional owners of this land, the Wajak Noongar people. And in this spirit, I voice my gratitude and respect to their elders, uh, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank our generous sponsors, without whom the festival today would not be possible. Um, so that uh, includes the City of Perth, uh, Rayner Real Estate, Aspen Corporate Financial Planning, and Herbert Smith Freehills. And of course, thank you to this terrific venue, uh, Toastface Griller, for having us here at their awesome cafe. Um, I hear that their toasties are really good. I can see that some of you are already enjoying it, so please do support the cafe after our event. All right, so 
just by way of logistics, I thought we'd kick it off with a conversation, and then as we reach towards the end, you know, I might open out to the crowd as well. So as you're listening to our speakers today, if there's anything that you're interested in, anything that catches your curiosity, please keep hold of it, and then you'll have a chance to ask it at the end. So without further ado, we've got, we're very lucky to have three panellists today sharing the stage with me. Our panellists traverse a variety of backgrounds, experiences, and art forms, which include fiction, poetry, visual media, and blogs. Their cultural heritage span multiple corners of the globe. Um, New Zealand, or to acknowledge its Maori, um, Maori uh, word, Aotearoa, sorry for my horrible pronunciation, uh, El Salvador, and Rwanda, places to which they still have a connection and which form a part of their lived identities. And I have great pleasure in introducing them to you this afternoon. So in the middle, I'll start with Alexander Tepoe. So Alexander is a Maori trans man living on Wajak Noongar land. He writes young adult fiction and poetry and is a contributor to the Centre for Stories recent anthology, which he is currently holding up to hold the clouds that was recently released by the, uh, the Centre for Stories. Alexander's stories have also been published within DJ Press, Tiger Moth Review, and Emerging Writers Emerge. Over on the left-hand side, we've got Rafa Gonzalez. Rafa is a Latino multidisciplinary artist. Born and raised in Perth, he comes from a family of migrants who moved from El Salvador to Australia during the Salvadoran Civil War. Rafa is a proud Aspie whose work highlights often marginalised diverse identities and gives them the agency they aren't always afforded within our cultural landscape. He's been published online on the LA Review of Books and Journal and recently featured, like Alexander, in the Centre for Stories to Hold the Clouds anthology. <laughs> uh, Raphael's also been involved uh, in the short documentary series as writer and director uh, called Different Lens, which is available on YouTube. And thirdly, just to my left, we have Giselle Ishimwe. Giselle Haba Ishimwe is a student equity practitioner and research assistant at UWA. Outside of her professional work, she runs a book club called Afro Heritage. For those of you who frequent the Centre for Stories, you might sometimes see them there um, during their book club meetups. And the book club is focused on highlighting African narratives by African authors. Okay? And she's determined to continue sharing her journey as a third culture kid on her online blog to expose people to different ways of seeing and being in the world. So can you please join me in welcoming our three panelists. Okay. So I thought a good place to start this conversation today uh, might be the, the very title of this session, okay? Third Culture Kids, which uh, to me has a sort of very cool cosmopolitan vibe. Um, but of course, we also know that the term third culture comes from a sense of mixed identities. You know, one where you have to negotiate uh, where one is from, but also the place in which one is raised as well, okay? With all of the feelings of, I suppose, joy, um, identification, but also experiences of rupture and perhaps trauma as well that that position entails. So I'd like to open that by asking our panelists, what does it mean to be a third culture kid to you? So tell us a little bit about your place and your background and what it means to be a third culture kid. 
Jump I'll, in there. I'll yeah. start. Because <laughs> um, uh, I was, because uh, I'm growing up, I was mostly, uh, I come from a uh, Latin American um, household. So um, as much as I, I mostly am surrounded by Australian uh, culture, I am mostly very, at home, it's mostly like a little corner of El Salvador. <laughs> So I'm even especially the lingo and also the food and also uh, just, you know, like the, the customs. It's like that's the usual thing that I'm used to. So, so even that that's, oh, if it's very rare seeing it outside of my family home or within my extended community, uh, which is spread out between north and south of the river. <laughs> yeah, I guess just to pick up on that point of that sort of like mini home in your own home that Raph was just talking about like yeah it's like your it's like your like so-called homeland has been like transported into like this sort of space that like exists like between like for me New Zealand or Aotearoa and Australia so it's like you're not here you're not there you're in sort of like between, like, two sheets of glass existing in, like, space, basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <coughs> Sorry. Good, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I, I actually came across the term third culture kid sometime this later, sometime this year, <laughs> when I was part of, a, for, uh, like, an online conversation talking about race and trying to get during the Black Lives Matter movement and people having conversations and... I think I've always been interested in what it means to be me coming from, I was born in Rwanda when I was, um, and then I left when I was about two years old, then I came back into the country, then I went to another country and then I lived there and then from there I came to Australia and I kind of get, I, I came here when I was about 13 years old and I'm going through this phase of trying to figure out I think at the time you're not thinking about fitting in or who am I, or what am I doing here? You're just kind of embracing every opportunity you have. Like, oh my goodness, I'm in Australia, this is amazing. You know, because before we came here, we thought this was heaven. Um, and so where I think as I matured and went through school and started to look at the people around me, being out in the community and the expectations that people had for me, people within my own immediate community, what they expected me to be, but then in my own household, the expectations of who I was supposed to be, and then for myself, the expectation of who I was supposed to be, and I'm like, who the heck am I? Like, everybody's pulling me all these different directions, and you have no idea because there's nothing you can hold on to, and you can't find people who have been through a similar journey to kind of help you and say, okay, maybe that's what it looks like to be, to be me. You're constantly in this state of, I, you know, I've, I've called it foreign state of being, where you, you don't feel at home, but you also don't feel, there's such a looseness about just being in the world. There's a constant question, a constant uncomfortable space of questioning who you are, where you're going, what you're doing, what you belong. I remember the first time I admitted to myself, I'm like, I think I'm Australian. Maybe, like it was like a whisper within myself and I'm like, hey, do people even agree with this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so it's like, I think for me, third culture is still a term that I'm still exploring and trying to understand, but I, hold, I held on to it and I found it because I thought this is helping me put words into something that I've been trying to understand. At least here, I can start here because a lot of the elements that make a third culture kid, I can, I can resonate with. So I'll start here and see what, and continue to explore. So I guess I don't have a, a specific answer. I think it's a constant journey of exploration of who you are as a person. 
Also, just to add into this, is yeah. that um, also what is usually uh, expectations is also can be also kind of thrown out if let's say there's other factors. So as much as I try to navigate both my Australian culture and also my, my root, my Salvadorian roots is that I'm also navigating as well because I'm also autistic. So I'm also trying to navigate that extra level <laughs> and, it, and it can be a bit uh, exhausting and being tongue tied at the same time. Because it's also at home, it's like there's also a lot of expectations from mostly from my dad, but from my parents is but to also speak in Spanish. But I was bilingual like when I was growing up, but then I had a speech problem and I was mute. So not being able to communicate at all. And so I had to navigate juggling, oh, I had to be sp spoken in English growing up. So then I was a bit denied most of my that part of my heritage. Because I wrote about it in a journal uh, called Language Barrier, which was about how I had to navigate the two languages. And nowadays it's, it's gotten better, but it's just that I had to juggle so many things. So I think that's what a lot of us third culture kids are also doing is while we're trying to navigate that, but we're also juggling everything. So, but if let's say, oh, there's this factor, oh, so you therefore all, most expectations are out the door, really. <laughs> so that, that's just what I added. So. Just to synthesize, oh, so, so were you about to, would you like to add something as well? Um, I was just thinking, because it's like, Giselle, you were talking about, um, like, what does it look like? What does it look like to be you? When, like, my mum will be like, one day she'll be like, oh, you're Pakiha, like, you're white. And then another day she'll be like, oh, you're Indigenous, you're Māori. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and then it's like, what does, like, my other identities look like? What does transness look like in, like, a, like white Australia? what does, like, bisexuality mean in, like, Australia or so-called Australia? And what do all these different things look like when you have no sort of roadmap telling you this is, like, who you should be, this is how you should dress, this is what your hair should look like? It's, like, when so many expectations on those sort of things come from, like, whiteness. Like, I remember when I had longer hair and my counsellor, because I went to see a counsellor at uni, she was like, oh, you're going to cut your hair, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. It's, like maybe, but you've already decided based on, like, an assumption that I have to dress like this. It's like, or that I have to, like, take hormones or, like, have any surgery. It's like, you know, what is that sort of... What do you look like in a world that's sort of telling you you should look... You should fit into, like, whiteness or whiteness idea of, like, indigeneity, transness and, like, bisexuality. Yeah. Mm. To try to pull together the, the different strands that each of you uh, spoke to, um, there were certain words I'm honing in on, words like negotiating, words like navigating. Uh, Rafa, you used the word um, juggling as well. Um, and I want to come back to those words because that actually ties in nicely with a question I, I want to ask you after. But I want us to think a little bit more about this idea of third culture. Okay, so, so something, and, and I suppose a related term is uh, that of diaspora as well. So, you know, the idea that I suppose we... Um, take with us a type of culture from where we are from. We sort of, you know, scatter it across the uh, globe. We take that culture, we remake that culture um, or cultures, okay, and to, to, to the places that we go. Um, but what I wanted to ask more was, so what does, you know, diaspora or, um, you know, being of third culture, what does that look, what does it feel, what does it smell, what does it sound like to you? on a day-to-day -day level. I'm really interested in the quotidian. And uh, Rafa, I think in, in your responses, you talked a little bit about that idea of, you know, growing up in 
suburban Perth, right? So what is it, what are all those things at a very sensorial level, but also everyday level, what do, what do they entail? Well, um, in terms of like what I, what I, about my senses, um, I, I re- it's because I think growing up, uh, it's like, oh, I was, ne- I mean, only unless it was at home or at the, at church or because, you know, being Catholic, but also, uh, being around in the community, like of my circle of uh, community of other Salvadorans, is because in our case, because when most of us came here, it was because we didn't really much have a choice because things were getting really bad in El Salvador at the time. Because uh, I, my family came here in 1989, so two months before I was born. But it was also because um, it was just g- getting escalating and escalating because the peace treaty didn't start until 92. But I didn't really, I mean, mostly since I was born, I have been, um, like, my family has been trying to constantly immerse me, like, at home, in my family home, like, oh, there's always bits of, like, traditional art that you would find in El Salvador. It's like, oh, that's the, this is what our, is from our culture. And food, every now and then, it's like when we hear, um, it's like, oh, I'll know exactly, oh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. Or hearing is like eh, sometimes that, or even like uh, the typical music you hear um, among, among several Latin American cultures. It's like oh yeah, like the samba, like the all the all the kinds. Like so, anything that's not despacito <laughs> or anything. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the thing was is that uh, it just. But we were more like traditional. Like we had all kinds. Like but. Um, so I've been mostly very exposed to most of my culture, um, you know, growing up. But it was just that when I was a kid, I didn't have that opportunity to do that until I was an adult, when I started to reunite with my culture. Um, I guess if you're talking about looks and sounds and smells, like it tastes like my mom like making banana bread or this other bread she makes, which is called bang bang bread. And it's like very simple, but it's sort of like... It's sort of like a sad but like survivor type bread because it's like we had to make it out of like the most barest ingredients to sort of, you know, throw it together like bang, bang. That's what you have to eat. Um, And it looks like, well, taking like shoes off at the door. Um, The paintings that my mum does, there's this like really amazing painting of like my grandma knitting and another one of my grandma, and she sort of like has her arm around like a mukapuna, which is like a grandchild. So like, I imagine that is me. And uh, yeah, it, it sounds like my mum incessantly playing like Prince Tuiteka all the time, <laughs> and like R&B from like the 90s because she's sort of like stuck, stuck in the 80s or the 90s with like Whitney Houston and like, um, what's that song where it's like the the driving song? where there's like a police behind him or something like that. Yeah, like it's like cruising down the highway in the hot, hot sun. Remember that song? Anyone? Yeah. That song. Oh, OMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That song. yeah. How bizarre. How bizarre. Yeah, how bizarre. It's always like in a <laughs> yeah. time warp. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course, great, great music taste. Yeah. Yes. I love the 90s. Yeah, the 90s I love the 90s. Were great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think being part of the diaspora is... I kind of think about it in a sense, like, I think I'm always trying to find a positive spin to everything that confuses me <laughs> so that I can be at peace. <laughs> so I feel like being part of the diaspora, you get a taste of what the world could be because you're so exposed to so many different aspects of life, which I think 
it's such a privilege, but it doesn't feel like a privilege when you're in it. It's confusing, it's hectic, it's full on, it's pressure, it's multi-layered, it's complex. But it's beautiful because you understand people in ways that other people don't because there's something about you that connects with them in ways that other people wouldn't connect with you. So I feel like being part of the diaspora, like when, if I go to Rwanda, if I can, um, is that to me, being there, I'm able to connect. There's, a, there's an element of connection, the, the place, the space, there's an element of myself that I feel like that place will always have in my heart. Whether I like to disown it and say I'm not from there, it, there's a connection that I share that I cannot deny that is part of me. But even when I go to Uganda, which is where I grew up, there's also a big part of myself. There's memories, stories, and things that I can remember about my childhood. Um, as much as there were horrible things, there were also some beautiful parts that I can hold on to and say, wow, that was a great time. And then coming to Australia as well, as much as that's been you know, exciting and challenging at the same time, there's also all these different memories and exciting things that have happened and opportunities that have been given to me. So it's all these different, like, different places that I hold connection to that I then bring all into the space that helps me understand people better, that helps me connect with people better. It can be challenging when I'm not aware of those things. I'm not aware of my positionality in this space because I mean, if I meet somebody from Rwanda, if I was to go in Rwanda, I can't assume to be as Rwandan as they are because I'm a different, there's a, so many different things that I, I've experienced that have changed my experience from them. So it's constantly checking myself that I'm not being biased, that I'm not being, that I'm not assuming because I think we do that a lot as human beings. We assume people are the way we think they should be. There's expectations we already, you know, place on people when we meet them. But I think it forces you to be in this place of like, get out of your assumptions. Let people show you who they are. Listen to them, hear them out, and kind of allow yourself to step outside of yourself and that comfortable place of where you just feel comfortable because you fit in and it's great. Because you're, I think as a third culture or as a diaspora person, you're constantly feeling out of place. And I, and I think it forces you to accept that, hey, this is part of life. I think all of us, to some extent, we do feel out of place in this world. And I think as we go through life, we, we grow, we find ourselves, we go through hurt, we go through good times, and we find something to hold on to that makes us feel at home in ourselves. So I think being at the diaspora person, it, it's given me tools to understand people better, but I had to come to a place of understanding that those tools myself, other, otherwise I'll find myself in this, confuse, in this confusing space where I'm, where I'm like, my parents are telling me about my culture and they expect me that I should know. And I'm like, I don't know, I wasn't there, you know? Like, so, and then they're thinking, yes, you should know. I mean, I'm your parent, I've taught you everything. And then you're like, but you really haven't. Like, you know, so it's like, I have to, I've, 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 I think I've gained so much, there's so much rich, uh, richness that comes from being in this space, but I think you have to first accept it and realize the beauty that that, that place gives you rather than all the complexity and, the, and, and just the confusing that comes with it. Just be okay, like, hey, we're human. We don't know what we're doing. We're trying to figure out every single day. So let's just keep pushing and let this experience help me connect with other people better so that I'm willing to listen and let them be who they are. Let them show me who they are without assuming what I think they should be. Long answer, sorry. Mm. Um, I think that does lead somewhat to the, the question I wanted to ask. And um, when I asked us to sort of retain those words around negotiate, you know, um, navigate, balance, I think in many ways those are words around, a little bit around struggle, uh, um, perhaps conflict, um, maybe ambivalence. So there's a type of, you know, I think maybe to inhabit a third culture is one that involves, you know, sort of negotiation of, contrasting influences, 
um, perhaps contradictions, ways of seeing the world. So what, I, what I'd like to ask is, uh, tell me about that experience or your experience of negotiating us, but what are the challenges of inhabiting that space? Um, let's see, um, navigating that. Well, the thing is, is that for me, to this day, I still struggle with, you know, like juggling Spanish and English. And so, because uh, every now and then my dad does this thing where he tests me. Like he will say something in Spanish, in full Spanish and very quickly. And so that way I was like, uh, I'll try to see if I can make a quick answer. It's like, there have been a few times where they will be speaking and if I, oh, I picked up on that. And then it's like, I come to that point where I can, I understand what they're saying, but it's just that it's hard for me to answer back. So, um, and even in terms of culture, like I'm very accepting, like, and when it comes to food, oh yeah, I'll take that because that's, because I mean, especially when it comes to my mom's cooking, like if let's say she's making sopa de frijoles or, because I don't say beans, because <laughs> I say frijoles, because I grew up saying that. And so if everyone says, oh, what's a frijole, frijol or something, it's like, oh, they mean, oh, it's frijoles, it's beans. So if you have baked beans, but for me, I grew up with black beans or frijoles and that's what I grew up with and especially because I always know when that happened when mom's making that that means oh that means she's making pupusas next which is a very traditional snack from El Salvador um, but it's just that uh, in terms of navigating it's like it was, lately it's just been more of a compromise so it's like okay so every now if, when I'm at home my parents will just speaking English to me because it's just been regular and but I just kind of told them, look, uh, it's too late for me, but it's not too late for my young nephews. You can start speaking in Spanish to them, so that way to, to know what it's like for me <laughs> to deal with it. But um, no, I think it's just, uh, but nowadays that's like, I come also compromised by also using Spanish words in everyday English, but also cursing in Spanish. <laughs> that also comes in really handy. So it's like, you really, if you really want to get away with it, just say something. So it's like, oh, great. puta. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, so please don't quote me on that, but it's just that. Hey, it's off the record. It's, but, it's, uh, but it's relatable. It's yeah. like that we just, we'd managed to bring a little bit of that culture into our lives. It's like, and if people want to figure that out, they'll have to look up a dictionary themselves. And so that way we don't have, it, does, it takes the pressure off us to, uh, constantly have to tell it all the time. I mean, it's good, but it's just if we do it all the time, it just gets tiring and exhausting. So I'm at, I'm at that point where I thought, no, this is what I am. And it's like, but it's just that because of me, it's like there isn't that many other Latin Americans around. So therefore, when, you, when people hear, see my name, they think, oh, that's such a cool name. And it's like, and I get it all the time, especially the Ninja Turtle reference, the tennis player reference, I get them all. <laughs> but it's just that, oh yeah, yeah, but it's like, if you go over to, let's say Los Angeles, for instance, or even in Latin America, it's a very common name. My, like it's, it's equivalent to John Smith, but. Yeah. So, yeah, Rafa, you talked a lot about the language side of it and the, the challenges of negotiating that. I want to hear a little bit more from um, Alexander. Is there around language or other aspects of that, the challenges of negotiating multiple positions? Um, in terms of language, it's like there's this really cool... Um, I wrote it on my hand to remember. There's this really cool article, not article, but like piece by um, Ellie Freeman called Even If It Hurts in the first issue of Penciled In. 
and they sort of compare like learning your language to learning to like run and it's like try not to swear here and it's sort of like it's it's like you're just trying and you're trying so hard to like do this new thing that like puts a strain on your whole like body so it's sort of like I see like my own language like te reo Māori like I want to learn that but it's like it's like it'll it's like I have to learn how to like crawl, walk and then run. It's like how do I get from a place where I only know like a few words here and there to a place where I'm running. It's like it's like my family back home is like it's like they're in the Olympics and I'm still being like, well, I need to learn how to like roll over and like sit up first. <laughs> yeah, so that's my feelings about the language thing. Mm. Yeah. If if I can even add on that, I think I remember last year when I was doing my master's, I did a thesis on integration experiences of African refugee youth in Western Australia. So I got to interview a lot of people that I knew and got to hear their stories. And a common theme that they talked about was identity crisis. And like one, one girl shared that she was born, so her parents are from a different country, but she was born in a refugee camp in a different country and then she came to Australia. So when people ask her, where are you from? She's like, um, she's like, do I say the country I was born? Do I say the camp I was born in? Do I, like, it was like this space that a, a simple question that just left her in this place where she's like, she, she would even be scared, she would get nervous when people ask her, where are you from? She's like, oh my gosh, don't ask me this question. I don't know what to say, you know? Um, so I think it's this, it's this place of, it's a painful, it's a, I think it's a painful thing when you, uh, when you find yourself losing a language that you're supposed to know. Like I know for my little sister growing up in our household, cause she came here when she was really young. So we could speak a language. She felt like we lived in a world that she was not a part of. So she felt like she was somebody else, but in our own house, in our, in our, own, our own home with her sisters. So, and, and I remember I didn't understand that pain until she shared it with me. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, so she can only say a few things and she's got an accent, a weird accent when she's, <laughs> when she's speaking her own language. And it's so weird for me because I'm like, you should know this, but she doesn't. She hasn't had the same opportunity that we've had to be able to speak her language. But even for myself, I find myself losing words or like if I meet people from Rwanda, I get really nervous and I start overthinking about what I'm saying. But then this place is so familiar because when I first came to Australia, and people would speak to me because I couldn't speak English. So I would hear what they're saying. I could speak a little bit. So I'll hear what they're saying and I would interpret it in Kinyaranda and then interpret it back into English and then respond. <laughs> so it took me some time to be able to respond to them. But now it's like the reverse. So I, I first, I, I instantly think in English. I, don't, I no longer think in my language like I used to. So that's completely changed. So like I said before, I like to put a positive twist to everything. So I'm like, I've just learned to just accept it. Like, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening. Because the more I think about it, it's actually depressing and it hurts my feelings too much for me to accept. So I'm like, you know what? It's okay. At least I can understand to some extent. If I go and meet people, I can, I, we, we can talk. Um, and I love what you say about like, you know, you feel like that your, your, your family are like in the Olympics and you're just learning. And I guess seeing it in that perspective, it's, it's great. Because I'm like, hey, you're supposed to be a professional. You grew up in this damn country. You should know what you're saying. So, like, I don't feel bad. Like, you shouldn't. I think I'm always thinking about looking at my life in my own context. How, what have I gone through to be where I am? The challenges I've experienced so that I'm not comparing to have a result that I shouldn't have because I haven't been through that. So I think there's that element of just accepting just things the way they are. But additionally, I think being in this space, inhabiting different languages, different cultures, there's a sense of feeling invisible. 
because nobody really kind of gets you. You're kind of in this like mysterious place and it, and it kind of sucks because you're there, but you're not there. Like I remember when I first went to um, a school and I remember going through the, the hallway and I just felt so, people were looking at me, but they were not looking at me. And I'm like, what the heck? So like for a long time, I was part of the school. It's like I was part of the school, but I wasn't part of the culture, the, the way that they did life and the things that they did. I really felt so outside of it. And that was my high school years. It was sad but the good thing is my parents always told me you're there to get an education you better study hard who cares about your friends so that that helped me not to depress over being like oh people don't get me they don't invite me to their parties i'm like you know it's cool i'm gonna go to the library and study and graduate and get out of here it's cool it's i not, totally agree with that yeah. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> yeah. it's not a forever thing so it's all cool mm. so i think in that sense like yes there's a space of feeling invisible but i feel like we all, we cannot undermine the power that we have to reinvent, recreate, and tell the world and show the world that this is what it is to be me. And obviously not everybody has, not everybody starts out of a place where they're confident to be able to show people who they are. It takes a bit of time, it takes vulnerability, it takes humility. So I feel like I've had to, or oh, I continue to learn, how do I not blame people for not understanding me, but try and teach them if they're willing to listen, because not everybody's willing to listen. So I think it's that place of like, yes, there's an element of feeling invisible but yes there's also opportunity to be mm. able to reinvent recreate mm. and show people a different way of being in the world mm. and uh, just based on what our three panel have said today well, one thing I'm reminded of is um, something that uh, one of my uh, uh, fa favorite authors recently Ocean Vuong I don't know if anyone has read him he's a Vietnamese uh, American author and he, he talks about his experiences of um, in, when you're immigrating to a place, there's also a type of immigration that takes place specifically at the level of language, when you, you know, and, and what uh, picking up English itself entails uh, with all those experiences. But I suppose in addition to that, maybe what losing a language or reshaping your own language to a mother, mother tongue might entail as well. So I thought that was a nice coda to some of the things that you guys um, had said. I want to move on because I'm also a little bit conscious of time. Um, I want to talk about how these experiences of, I suppose, you know, of, of being from third culture or identifying as being from third culture inform the work that you do, uh, both professional but, you know, but outside as well. Uh, particularly, I suppose, writing, because you, know, you, you all do write in, in different forms. You, you're storytellers. Um, so I'm interested in, I suppose, the, the types of stories you might choose to tell, but also the, uh, the, the forms in which you choose to work, be it poetry, fiction, blogs, so on and so forth. Um, the thing is, because um, I was, I knew that from the get-go that I was a very creative person. So even when I was getting really flunking so many things like maps or science and all, but it was like art was like something that I was drawn to. And even going to the, spending the time at the library reading, as well as reading as I could get at the time. But as well as like outside of school, it's like, oh, I needed to find something that I could, that I, that I like as a hobby. And in my case was collecting comic books. And so that was something that combined the two, like the art and the writing. Though also um, it's just that in terms of reading, which finding something to, that influenced my writing, it was that I mostly used comic books as a, and, and also movies as well. 
Though the thing was, in later years, I've also I'm just becoming, you know, like this type of writer, writing essays about reflecting about my culture and my background and navigating being autistic, was that there wasn't that meant much good representation of my of me like out there. So it's like, oh, there's no many good autistic representation. There are some well-known ones, and there's even also the stereotypes of Latinos, not to mention a certain current former president that's made it made a bit of a mess <laughs> over there. But um, the thing was just that everyone assumes that, because I remember talk, hearing that discussion about having to be, you know, like constantly having the those expectations, oh, you're from that culture, they expect you to be all like this and all, but I also don't follow all those stereotypes. And maybe because that my why when in terms of my writing i want to also break those you know those particular cliches saying oh oh so you are this but you are not like that or sorts in the same it's in both my culture and also in my status as a autistic person so that's what i decided to start why i've been writing is like also writing characters that normally don't get that sort of spotlight they're mostly just in the background or just as an extra so being able to have the ability to write and say, no, this person, he has these things, so, but, so what? So it's like, that's not, that's not the, I don't have to prove it that he has these things. He has it, and it's just like a regular, that's just how it is. That's just a character statistic. But in the case, I also started writing other things outside of my usual purview, because I don't want to be pigeonholed into, a, a, you know, an ongoing position. So... Because I, I don't want to <laughs> take up too much time. So I think it's just that I want to be able to be at that point where, yes, I've been able to be able to create that stuff, but I don't want to be, you know, constantly, oh, I, I'm just in this category all the time. So um, I, I'm pretty sure others could relate to this um, in their storytelling. Um, well, I write short stories and poetry and, like, I'm working on a novel at the moment. And, like, with my poetry, like, about identity... I feel like I've read so many poems and, like, power to you if you do this. I'm not judging. But I've read so many, like, poems by, like, Indigenous people who are maybe not so dark-skinned where they're like, oh, my God, who am I? I'm, like, really white. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. So I'm sort of like, I just feel like, you know, people who have darker skin than me, who are Indigenous, who are black, like, you can take that space. I don't need to like add my voice to the discussion and just be like... So I'm sort of trying to figure out how to like talk about my identity beyond like the whole skin colour thing. Because I'm like cool. I'm cool with that. I don't need to figure anything out. I just, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to write about my own identity and poetry beyond like that sort of narrative. And with like um, my longer stuff, at the moment I'm working on uh, a young adult novel set in the future in space about like a Māori trans boy. And I'm sort of like trying to figure out like, what does um, indigeneity mean when you're like in space and you're on someone else's planet? What does transness mean in a society that like doesn't want to see you and actively is like looking at you and going, you're a girl and you're like, you don't know me. So I'm sort of trying to figure out, like, going beyond, like, the chaos walking narrative where it's, like, 
there's the humans and the normally white, and then there's the aliens, and they're like the standard for the indigenous people, and they're scary, and they like screech, and it's like, that's not great representation. So I'm sort of like, with my work, I'm trying to sort of push beyond that and tell my own story beyond like the stereotypes that are perpetuated in like longer form of fiction. Yeah. So cool. Um, I think I was, a little while back I was inspired. I watched a, a TED talk by Chimamanda and she said, I think it's called The Danger of a Single Story. And I was so inspired by that talk because it was just about like when you just see consistently one aspect of someone's life, you assume that that's all that there is to them. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many stories that people don't know that I, that I know and I want to share with them. And I think that inspired me to start thinking about writing because I think I prefer talking than writing because <laughs> I feel like talking you can just talk, 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 talk and, and, I, and it's so part of my culture like my parents oh my gosh when they catch up with their friends goodness me like <laughs> when their friends say goodbye they stand up they talk they walk to the door they talk they walk to the car they're still talking I'm like come on guys <laughs> you were supposed to be gone an hour ago and you're still around talking so I think stories have been always part of our culture, part of how we do life, part of um, how, you know, how, how uh, culture is passed on and things like that. So I don't think I've had to learn how to tell stories, but I think only this year have I started to claim myself as a writer. <laughs> only because I was like, oh, well, I guess I write. Um, and that's why I started a blog, because I'm like, I'll start to like, just, I don't even know what I'm writing, to be honest. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, I have this thought today. Let's just write about it. But then I finally had a bit of a plan. I was like, maybe once I started like learning a little bit about Culture Kid, I went on forward and I started, I bought a book, which I haven't read yet, um, because I wanted, to, I wanted to read the book and kind of see what are some of the themes explored and how do these themes relate to me so that it's not necessarily so that people that don't understand me understand me. It's more for the people that are going through it to have somebody that's going through the same thing that's actively trying to work it out to read and, and, and kind of understand like, oh yeah, wow, I resonate with that. I feel that. I understand that. So that's kind of what has inspired my writing where I want to kind of go through a process of reflecting where I don't know what I'm trying to say because I think I'm just allowing the journey to define what I get to write. So when I eventually start reading this book, I will start to explore the themes and hopefully sit down and allow it to be a process of like reflection on my end and, and trying to figure out, trying to understand myself a little bit better before I can get people to, before I can tell people to understand me. So I think my... I guess in a sense that that third culture aspect inspires my writing because I see power in being an insider of something is that nobody understands it, especially when you can be an insider but also understand the outside world. There's so much power, you become a bridge. So I kind of want to see as I figure out this inside space, hopefully that I can be a bridge to people that don't, these two different groups that don't understand each other, whether it's the people in here that are trying to connect with themselves, but whether it's people from outside that are trying to understand these people. So hopefully, eventually, when I start to intentionally write more that that's what it would look like mm. yeah oh, well, well said uh, guys um I, I'm just conscious of time um, so uh, I, I did have quite a few more questions uh, but you know it's we've just had, had such a terrific conversation just sort of taking its own turns as well so um just as a last note I'll, I'll give you one sentence on on this topic but you know as I mentioned before we, we, we've <laughs> um but but the question is a very simple one so um as I mentioned, we've had a really uh, challenging year, and I think we're more fortunate here in Perth and you know uh, other parts of Australia and in indeed the world. 
But I thought a way of bringing this conversation back, I um, can't remember if it was you, Raf, or you, Giselle, but you know, ending on a positive, but what is one good thing for you today? What is the one thing that gets you up going most mornings, Raf? Um, currently, uh, I think it's just like the fact that, you know, things are like pretty good here. And I'm just thinking back to what, what it was like for my family when they came here in 1989. It's because they wanted to get as far away from the conflict as possible. And they were told, oh, because Perth is actually a pretty quiet and very, you know, isolated place. <laughs> but it, but at the same time, it, it still, it felt like, it feels like home. It still is home to me at this point. Yeah. Um, in the film Thor Ragnarok, they say home is not a place, it's a people. And the best thing about this year has been the people, like my family, my friends, people that I've met. They've all sort of formed this protective thing around me against the world. So, yeah, the best thing about this year has been my whānau family. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it would have to be my faith. I feel like that plays, has played a significant part of my life in a sense of helping me have hope when I feel really, really hopeless. Helping me have a mindset that's constantly thinking about how do we see this from, how do we see this from a positive light? Because this is hell. This is horrible. <laughs> this, is, this sucks. And constantly allowing the difficult times to, to, to find, I guess, within the, the chaos, within the difficult times to find what lessons am I learning? How is this making me a better person? How is this refining me? Rather than focusing on the, on the chaosness of the situation, but trying to find the good in the midst of it. So I think for me, that's what consistently gets me up in the morning, gets me excited about life, because no matter what I go through, there's always opportunity for good to happen. There's, op there's always opportunity for me to grow, to be a better person. There's always opportunity, like, it's, it's kind of like constantly having hope that things are going to get better. Yeah. Okay, so home, family, faith and hope. Um, for me, what's been good today, uh, today or is exactly that. All the, the people around you, the community that we have around us, our friends, events like this. So I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Please thank our panellists again. <laughs> Lovely to have had, uh, to have hosted you guys over the last hour. Um, I'd like to thank Toastface Griller again for hosting us today. And I believe our next event is at the King Street Collective. So if you guys could please follow um, Logan and Claudia out the door. Can I just all... say one thing? Yeah. One more thing. Can we just all give a big like round of applause to Chris for your amazing questions and like guidance? Thank you. Thanks so much.